This is Unfilter, episode 201 for August 24th, 2016. This cyber attack reported against the New York Times and other media organizations. FBI now investigating whether the Russian hackers who targeted the DNC are also behind these attacks. ABC's chief investigative correspondent Brian Ross tracking the case. Good morning, Brian. Well, good morning, George and Amy. U.S. officials this morning confirmed to ABC News that the cyber war sneak attacks by Russia are now targeting the American news media, including the country's most influential news organization, the New York Times. Fresh off episode 200, here we are for episode 201. Now, 2 plus 0 plus 1 equals 3, which means possibly a third candidate and party will be entering the race. If you're following me on Twitter before this show, I have a Red Book prediction. I'll talk about it later, but welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Chase. There's Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey, yeah, I, I'm all about your prediction. I'm looking forward to it. I got yes. I got a clip to line you up for the Thank year. you. Yeah, yeah, Thank you're you. Welcome. You're welcome. Right, it, was a, it was a softball. I, yeah, I well, like, no, I feel, like, I feel like when, you know, it's been a while since we've officially made a Red Book prediction, so it, we should lead into it with a clip. It was yeah. only appropriate. <laughs> Let's clip it, yeah. So uh, this week, we're going to definitely get into all of the news that matters this week. We are doing a bit of a trimming down just to make sure the show doesn't go into the four hours, so we're going to... Wait, what are, you, what are you talking about? I mean, I know last week we had a very long show. The show's just a little bit on Weight Watchers this week. That's all. That's it's hard. not crazy. Well, I'm just saying, though, last week we had a big show, but, yeah, but there's 200, a couple. Right? But it's yeah, two, it's yeah, 200. Yeah, yeah. And first off, we had to give props to the people who support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash unfilter. And I actually saw a comment on YouTube that bugged me a bit that I wanted to bring up at the top of the show. Really? And yeah. And, and wow. It basically Let's was like, you're going to be ending up losing people, you know, if you keep doing that. And you know what? If I lose the people that don't support us on Patreon, goodbye. I'm sorry. Have a nice day. Wow, you're fired up. And you know the reason why is because the people who support us keeps our show going. Yeah, I, but here's what I say. is The thing is, uh, everybody could be a potential supporter one day. So we just maybe no, they just watch that. for a while. I understand that. Look at some value out of it. And you know that's why I'm so appreciative of the supporters we do get. Yeah. I have a, we have a special overtime segment coming up uh, at the second half of the show dedicated just to everybody who came on to celebrate but, episode 200. But it's the ones that complain about it and then have no intentions of supporting and no intentions of doing anything to further the show. That's not productive. Get you know, out of here. Get it, it out of here. Get it out of here, I suppose. But, you know, if the, sh- when the, show, uh, if the show shuts down, then they can go back to watch CNN and Fox News and RT, and they can, call them, they can call it good. What are you talking about? They just leave it on ABC, and that's all they do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They do have George. That's true. So uh, there's a big cyber story. In fact, we even teased it a little bit like in the, the intro. And so let's start right out with this, because this whole attribution game is getting pretty rich. There's a lot of names being thrown around these days with little evidence, and it continues. The FBI is investigating these uh, series of intrusion, intrusions that uh, I, are believed to be the work of uh, hackers working for uh, Russian intelligence, and that the, these hackers were targeting New York Times reporters as well as some reporters for other news organizations. Uh, what's really emerging uh, from, this, uh, from this intrusion, uh, these breaches, uh, is uh, the picture that perhaps uh, that, that, that Russian intelligence appears to be trying oh. uh, to uh, breach organizations in Washington who have a window into the U.S. political system. So, so wait, let me get this straight. Yeah. Russia so desperately needs information about 
What did he say? The U.S. political process or the what did he say exactly? Organizations in Washington who have a window into the U.S. political systems. So Russia is so desperate to get information that it wants to hack companies who have a window into the U.S. political system. They can just actually listen to our show, Chris, and they would get all the information <laughs> that they need. Something tells me that uh, they have their own intelligence and they don't need to hack the New York Times. But yeah, but here's what seems to be the implied the implied message here to me is that the New York Times is in on the political system and they have like insider information like the New York Times isn't a dispassionate third party journalist they're not they're not like the special tier that's supposed to be right. keeping the government accountable but apparently if you want the inside track on the US political system you don't who do you go after the 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 New York Times which to me would seem to imply that the New York Times is massively corrupt if that's the case and that is what's so now, ironic about wait, the story well, well well to add on to that on our opening clip you know the the part of the that opening clip that kind of raised my eyebrow. Uh, who was it from NBC, or ABC News saying the most influential news organization? Influential? It, they shouldn't be influential. They should just be delivering the news, yeah, right? Right. Yeah, of course, the mainstream media takes all of their talking points from the New York Times. To, Fair enough. Uh, breach organizations in Washington who have a window into the U.S. political system. So they're going beyond the usual hacks against uh, U.S. government agencies. They're targeting think tanks. Obviously, we know previously that they hacked uh, or they're believed to have hacked the DNC. Now we're starting to do the attribution thing now. He almost said we know, but then he had to correct himself. Did you catch that there? Mm-hmm. Previously that they hacked uh, or they're believed to have hacked. Now, hacked again, uh, believed to be hacked. The hacking of the DNC attribution has solely came from the Hillary Clinton campaign. No government official, no law enforcement official has attributed that hack to Russia. Right. The FBI is investigating it. The DNC and other Democratic Party organizations. And now we've learned about these hacks uh, targeting New York Times reporters and reporters for other news organizations. What are, why are they saying other? Give us names. Uh, we did reach out to the New York Times. Uh, they declined to comment on uh, this uh, attack or whether or not uh, there's an investigation of it, but they did say the following, like most news organizations, we are vigilant about guarding against attempts to hack into our systems, and there's a variety of approaches we take up to and including working with outside investigators and law enforcement. Brianna, we're told that the Times has brought in some outside cybersecurity investigators, and they're working with the FBI to try to figure out how these hackers got in and what the damage is. Obviously, there's a scary uh, proposal proposal that comes out of this, obviously, Uh, the the fact that... uh, if you get into reporters' contacts, you might be able to uh, learn who they're talking to in the U.S. government, as well as their communications and their emails. So all of that is is part of this investigation. That would be the real value of hacking the New York Times if they did so. But I'll tell you something that's not really being reported on. Um, well, it turns out that the New York Times has tried to make a correction to the story, but nobody's cared to report on it. And that is that they have a Moscow bureau. They have a Moscow office, the New York Times, that may have actually the, – the, the Russian government may have been knocking on the door trying to get into it. Oh, really? Yeah. So they, it's possible It's possible that there are two separate things that have happened. The New York Times may have been compromised and the Moscow Bureau may have been sniffed by the Russian government wow. or agencies for the Russian government. Wow. The cyber attack reported against the New York Times and other media organizations. FBI now investigating whether the Russian hackers who targeted the DNC are also behind these attacks. 
ABC's chief investigative correspondent, Brian Ross, tracking the case. Good morning, Brian. Well, good morning, George and Amy. U.S. officials this morning confirmed to ABC News that the cyber war sneak attacks by Russia are... Cyber war sneak attacks. (laughs) ...now targeting the American news media, including the country's most influential news organization, the New York Times. Yes, influential. No group of journalists is better connected than those inside this building. Doesn't that seem like they are outing the fact that they are a bunch of insiders? Who yeah, are I know. They're so connected. That seems like the wrong message you want to be getting yeah. out here. It's so funny how they put their own... F- because if by saying that they are such a valuable target, you are also saying at the same time that they are not a proper journalism outfit. Right. No group of journalists is better connected than those inside this building with the most sensitive, high-level sources inside government. Russian intelligence wants to know what the New York Times is going to write before it writes it. And they want to know who their sources are. So the, the Russians want to know what the New York Times is going to write it before they write it. I, I, I doubt that. I, I have a feeling the Russians already know what the New York Times is going to write before they write it because they're some of the people making the news and they have their own intelligence agencies. Yeah. And they want to know who their sources are inside Russia. U.S. officials say they are now investigating a series of cyber attacks against the Times from Russia, targeting its bureau in Moscow. The Times says none of its internal systems was breached or compromised. Officials say the attacks came from the same Russian hackers who did compromise the computers of the Democratic National Committee. Now, how do we know that? Let's see, how do we know this? Officials say the attacks came from the same Russian hackers who did compromise the computers of the Democratic National Committee. Which officials? Because there's been no official yet that's actually even said the Russians were behind it. The telltale signs from the DNC were... Okay, here we go. We're going to get the the telltale signs that it's the um, Russians. You ready? Yeah, go ahead, sir. Okay, go you got this yep. right, I'm ready. Go. Okay, uh, okay, here's number one. And the IP addresses. The IP address. IP address. Yep. Got it. Okay. That were being used were previously Wait, attributed. Uh, Chris, that's not an IP address. No, you're right. It's it's not. Did to Russian attacks. The hack. Wait, Wait. That's, that's it? That's the concrete evidence? Can, can you play that back real quick? Yeah, because I, I think maybe, maybe, maybe I we, missed something. Yeah, we might have talked over because it. Because honestly, you know, IP address, yeah. okay, I was yeah. waiting. All right, yeah. 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 National Committee. Yeah. The telltale signs from... Signs. So he said plural, plural. Okay. okay. So we must have missed it. The DNC were the IP addresses that were being used were previously attributed to Russian attacks. Um... Chase, I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Uh, I'll come over to my tech corner. Uh, we're going to have some bacon. This bacon uh, comes to us from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, in the chat room, maybe you feel differently about this, but um, it seems like an IP address pretty easy to spoof the, in 2016. And here's something. Here's something that crosses my mind, and this is really where the bacon comes in. Okay. Who would be most likely to have a record of what Russia intelligence agency's IP addresses are? Uh, former Secretary of State. <laughs> yeah, probably on her email server <laughs> logs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking that's something the intelligence agencies like the NSA would have. Oh, totally, for sure. And do you remember the previous conspiracy bacon that it was the NSA? That it was actually somebody within the NSA that was behind the original right, DNC leak to begin with. Yes. And then it turned out it looked like it was that guy that got shot while during a robbery that quote unquote went bad. No, no, he got murdered. Exactly. Let's just be clear. Exactly. He got murdered. Exactly. Um, and so if you're doing the attribution game, if you know how to fake your IP address or if you have control of some of the Internet's routers and you have logs of who the, uh, who all these different IP addresses are for all these different agencies, it seems like it would be 
pretty easy to do that. It seems like a pretty big claim to be making with really, 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 really weak evidence. Evidence that has failed to hold up in court in the past. Well, to be fair, Chris, you know, that was an ABC News story. They show that for the nightly news. You know, everybody in America is having their dinner and watching, you know, David Muir. Right, right. I think they were just trying to dumb it down for everybody. I, I, gotta think, I think that, you know, they so got to dumb it down. If I'm a Russian intelligence agency and your buddy, my good friend, Putin, has ordered me to hack the DNC because I want to know what uh, Debbie's been up to. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then I want to, and then I, oh, and then I apparently just want to give it to WikiLeaks. And then the next time when I, when I hack the NSA, apparently I want Bitcoin. Anyways, so I'm Putin and I, I, I say to this guy, I say, go down there. Go down there. And, and hack the DNC. I want you to hack the DNC. Uh, am I supposed to believe, as just an average viewer at home, that the Russian intelligence agent would be so stupid that he wouldn't know to use a proxy or use Tor to cover his own IP address, that he'd actually connect from his actual IP address? Yeah, I, Is that what they want me I, to that's believe? Why, you know, that's why I'm agreeing with you on this, just because of the fact that they're they're just trying to if lay they're this— they're so yeah, savvy. Right, right, right. Of course. Oh, my gosh. No, obviously— there's got to be some sort of conspiracy here, and that's where the bacon's warranted because they're just trying to paint the narrative. Oh, well, to the American people, oh, it matches the IP address. And, you know, Joe Schmo's not going to question, oh, they matched it. Yeah, they, they hacked that IP. You know, it's the same people IP. People who want to be dicks and just put stupid stupid shit in our chat room don't even use their own IP. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like basic stuff here. Oh, Democratic National Committee. The telltale signs from the DNC were the IP addresses that were being used were previously attributed to Russian attacks. Guilty! The hacked DNC emails showed how supposedly neutral party officials tried to undercut the campaign of Bernie Sanders. I was impressed they actually put this in there. They don't often cover this because a lot of times we just talk about the Russian hacking the DNC and we don't, talk, it. We right. don't talk about the contents of the emails. That's right. Sensitive emails and voicemail messages about big Democratic donors and the favors they saw. The Russian hackers have a long list of successful and embarrassing operations. They hit a non-classified system at the White House and a classified system at the Pentagon. Again, never actually, uh, sorry, officially attributed to the Russians by a government official. Um, that, that, I don't, I, I think maybe the White House unclassified system might have been, but the other one, no. A report last week said Russian hackers had successfully compromised a private communications network for a foundation run by American billionaire George Soros. All these are definitely related, and it's interesting they even mentioned the Soros leak. Yeah. That's the first time we've yeah. ever heard that. Cybersecurity experts we talked to say no news organization with reporters logging in from all over the world and needing quick access would be able to withstand a sophisticated attack from the well-trained Russian government hackers. Or NSA. Just can't protect your accounts. Like a cautionary tale for all of us, George. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I'm at danger of getting my account hacked. Actually, I do have a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? So this morning I'm at work, uh, 10 o'clock, you know, I'm just sitting there and doing my thing. When all of a sudden I get a text message from my bank letting me know that I make this charge at a Walmart in Federal Way. And it says, reply one with three yes and two with no. So I said, two. And then all of a sudden I got a phone call saying, you need to call us right away. So I called and sure enough, someone uh, made a, a, a Russian, I mean, tried to make a Russian purchase. 
you know, with my car <laughs> and uh, I was able to squash it. And so, uh, but yeah, you know, I got to be careful too. You know, Russia's uh, looking at my stuff. Yeah, right dude. Uh, in fact, uh, Clapper says that this is full on cyber war. We, we're in a cyber war right we, now. We are, we are in a, a cyber war. Administration about what to do about all of this. Some officials want to name and shame the Russians and others are, are concerned about the uh, possible escalation of what's already an undeclared cyber war. And that's not just my language, uh, John, but also the language of the head of the director of national intelligence who says that's exactly what's happening here a cyber war all right evan perez thanks so much thank you that seems like a big statement for for clapper the head of the intelligence agencies to be making that um and you know that's why it might be time for you and i to join the national guard this is king five news Protecting power grids, hospitals, banks from cyber attacks. They're some of the country's top priorities. That was the main topic at Regis University today, where the Colorado governor's office and the Army National Guard try to improve protecting systems from hackers. More on the story now from Nelson Garcia. So he's going to shut it down. Every second of every day, people like Warren Hoffman are fighting the attack. Cyber attack. We all know it can get to be very serious very fast. Hoffman is an information protection technician. I think he's going to demonstrate it up there. For the South Dakota Army National Guard, training with Regis University and other guard units, including Colorado. He has Ethernet Zero there. To learn more ways to fend off hackers trying to steal information or create security problems. Primarily, uh, our role is coordinate, train, assist, and advise. So this is showing um, the operating system that's running. Lieutenant Colonel Brad Rhodes leads the Colorado National Guard Cyber Operations Team. He says they are the state's first responders if the government or a company suffered a serious cyber crisis. What do you think, Chase? Nice, Chris. The only, the only problem is, you know, if they're recruiting... You know, I'm not exactly in great shape, you know, and I, you know, I know they're going to put me through their 12-week uh, course to run through <laughs> obstacle courses just so I can hack other computers and defend Yeah, yeah, the, the mainland. Hey, I'm, I'm ready. Chase, I think you and I, if this podcasting thing doesn't work out, yeah. should give it a go. Oh, totally. I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> you know, we were talking about the, uh, the remember last week, the uh, NSA tools that got uh, released yes. online? Yes, the malware. Are you ready to open up the NSA update segment, Chase? Yeah. I, I, we, we, we have a... It's actually an old clip from Paul. Uh, I just I found it because I had to rebuild the soundboard awesome. today. <laughs> it's something. Uh, so the NSA was uh, had their tools released, and it turns out there's a few tidbits, and there's nobody better to ask than Biney, uh, who is a former NSA agent himself, yeah. became a whistleblower. And he's got an interesting take on that leak, and there's some new details that we didn't know last week. The latest scare at the National Security Agency could point to foreign espionage or to an internal leak. In short, a second Snowden. Why? Because software stolen from the NSA in this instance appears to date back to pre-2013, after Snowden fled uh, the, to Hong Kong. Now, hackers known as so-called shadow brokers published software codes used by the NSA to break into firewalls of companies like Cisco, just as an example. Now, the codes are like a key to break in, you can spy, you can mess up systems, what have you. So now we face an age where hackers, cyber protesters, and foreign governments can use our spy tools against us to steal data, plant malware, cause chaos, and then publish it or even sell it. Here to talk. That is an interesting point. Is yeah. Even if they didn't use the actual executables that have been found, uh, foreign governments could now study these sort of figure out how they're built, 
figure out the methodology that the United States government is to create this uh, this stuff and uh, definitely get inspired to create their own tools. So that there is there is probably some serious long-term ramifications in that regard. Oh, yeah. Steal data, plant malware, cause chaos, and then publish it or even sell it. Here to talk about what a data dump of this nature can mean for the future. Joining me now is NSA whistleblower Bill Binney. Thank you very much for coming in tonight. Now, the Thank word you. has been put out that this has the stamp of Russia, even <clears throat> maybe China or Iran. It's all what been Russia. a country... Why, why would a country publish this, even try to make money on it, and then to just have it out there? I mean, what makes you think that this is an employee? Now, I want to make it clear. We're not talking about the DNC leak anymore. We've now changed over to that NSA leak right. that came out yeah. of the tool sets. Some people said it was Russia. Snowden said it might have been Russia. Other people say it's perhaps uh, uh, an internal leaker. It appears that uh, Biney's on that particular uh, belief train, as you will, that thought train, that particular— It's a good thought train to be on. —conspiracy bacon. Well, uh, f- f- simply put, if another country had, had hacked this and pulled out the data, they would have, they would use these things as as weaknesses in different systems to go after anybody they wanted to. They wouldn't publish them. The fact that they had them, they and would, they would just use Bitcoin. them. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> but the other point is, in order to hack into the NSA network, this is a uh, supposedly a closed network. That is, there's no other access points from outside into their network. Mm-hmm. And Damned. once they collect data, it's classified. So that means it gets encrypted anytime they send it. So you're not talking about a clear text line. These are encryption. These are encryption systems. So he says that it's an isolated network that's encrypted, but it goes beyond that. It doesn't even use a public crypto that are not publicly available. And they're running continuously. And so all this data is being passed around an encrypted network. So if you tap into that, you're tapping into an encrypted line. So in other words, it's very unlikely that an outside – and think about it. Of course the NSA would build a network that way. Of course they would. So it's much more likely that it was an internal source that already had access to the information. It makes sense to me. So it, it means you get a bunch of junk. So if you try to insert something, you either have to know the encryption and you know how to sync with the encryption so you can add the encryption to what you're inserting into the data so it passes down the line to get received and recognized. And then, of course, you have to do the same in reverse to pick it up when it, when it sends data back to you. Uh, and that's a really difficult problem, especially since these are not publicly available encryptions. Right. So when they, they do something like this, <clears throat> why, why in the world would they, for instance, it's been pointed out that there's a 120 megabyte file that has been has not been decrypted. Now, we didn't talk about this last week. This is interesting. So in this leak, there's a 128 megabyte chunk of data that is using a different encryption passphrase or okay. key. All right. That we don't know, we don't have access to. That it's just out there like a, a wild card. We've got this. This is a blackmail file, so to speak. What in the world would they want to use that for? A threat? Hey, we've got the well, good stuff in here. Yeah, I, I would think that they that's that's leverage for them, of course. So, but I would say that uh, if they're going to say something like that, they'll start to prove it. Well, that's true. I mean, I that's mean, not it's a the very same big with file, the FBI. Though. If you're saying the Russians are hacking in, they should prove that. So far, they haven't done that. Why should people be alarmed over this? Edward Snowden came out and yeah. said, "I'm trying to protect you." What does this say? I'm going to steal some files, try to trade it for Bitcoin, and then publish it. I mean, what's what's the point? The NSA is a spy agency. We know they spy on governments. Right. What does well, the American public care? Uh, well, because uh, the, the entire background of this, in my view anyway, is to start mm-hmm. a new Cold War. So in other words, 
You have no. to pick a bad guy. No well, way. obviously the Russians are the bad guy. So they got so, the accent. They're going to go ahead and keep on with that. And, and you know that, that means a lot of money for the military-industrial intelligence complex. Oh, what do you always say, Chase? Show me the money. Okay. So there's a big motivation for them to get to start up a second uh, Cold War. What do you think? People who who have listened and followed the story of Edward Snowden, what do you think that they want to get out of this? Do they want someone who's inside leaking this information to come forward and talk to the American public? Or do you think that they, at this point, just have heard enough and they don't care so much? Almost like it's it's just they're desensitized to it. Uh, I wouldn't say they're desensitized. I think they seem uh, or they feel powerless. Okay, uh, it's not a question of being, uh, uh, not being concerned. They just feel they can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. When, in fact, they've got all the power. All they have to do is stand up and use it. And that means go to the polls and vote for people uh, who aren't incumbents. I would say fire everyone in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, uh, in we'll a get bit. to D.C. That's, a, yeah. uh, we still have some world events yeah. to cover. Yeah. Uh, you remember a few weeks ago we talked about the UN recognized government calling in uh, U.S. airstrikes against ISIS in Libya. Yeah, and it was like, wow. So there's not really like an official government in Libya. It's kind of fractured, but yet one of them's calling in airstrikes. Well, it turns out that Libya has rejected that UN-backed government completely at this point. This parliament just rejected a UN-backed government. For more on this, we go live to Brigitte Santos out in. Los Angeles for us on this. Brigitte, this is seen as a major blow to international efforts to bring unity to North Africa. How did this all break down? Lindsay, the opposition here really has to do with the future of the military and who's going to control it. Most of the opposition coming from eastern Libya. Now, on Monday, 61 of 101 attendees voted against the Government of National Accord. 39 people completely abstained from voting, and one person voted in favor of it. Now, one person who is opposing this summed it up, stating, quote, we reject this government because it is waging a war against the institution of the military and it wants to support the role of militias on the Libyan stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the whole Libya thing's maybe not going to be tidied up for Hillary by the time she gets into office. Oh, that's too bad for her. Yeah, it really will oh, be. Oh, so, so, so you're, you're still thinking she's going to win. Did you hear about this fake ISIS attack? anti-Islam activists in the Czech Republic yesterday drove into Prague's Old Town Square in a military jeep while carrying Islamic State flags and shooting fake guns loaded with blank rounds. All this just this weekend. <laughs> I don't know, Chase. They just wanted to move. They just wanted to prove a point. They say they just wow. wanted. Yeah, they just wanted to prove a point wow. that, that terrorism is real. Yeah, I, I still think she's going to win. Yeah. We'll get more into that. We'll I, get into the election. I, I, it was like a little distraction you threw in there. It's I like, did. yeah, yeah, when she gets into office, uh-huh. what? Yeah, you, what? You caught what? That, where? Huh? Where? Yeah, but this has been. Uh, but don't don't worry, Chase. Don't worry. All right. It's not just the election. We still have other news to cover. Good. Uh, Turkey's been interesting to watch recently. The U.S. is providing air support for an attack on ISIS forces along the Syria-Turkey border. U.S. airplanes are helping Turkish units on the ground. This is new video of an airstrike. Their target is the ISIS-held town of Jarablus, Syria. Holly Williams is in Istanbul monitoring the fighting. Holly, So we're striking in Syria. 
Good morning. Turkish warplanes and artillery are both hitting ISIS positions in Jarablus. And Turkish special forces have also entered Syria, according to reports this morning. Wow. Turkish tanks have been seen rolling across the border. And Syrian rebel forces have told us around 1,500 of their fighters have also crossed into Jarablus. This feels a little bit like tidying up, uh, taking care of a few loose ends here. The town is key because it lies on the only section of Turkey's 500-mile-long border with Syria Ah. that's still controlled by ISIS. Uh Thousands of foreign fighters have used the Turkey-Syria border to cross into the war zone. This comes on the same day that Vice President Joe Biden is here in Turkey trying to shore up relations. Look how he squeezes that arm. He loves loves the hug that way. He's a toucher, dude. He's a toucher. Yeah, he just squeezes. You know he's had a few drinks on the plane. Yeah, right? He doesn't let go either, man. He just... just Trying to shore up relations with one of America's most difficult allies. The two NATO members have a fundamental disagreement about how to tackle ISIS. The U.S. is working closely with Kurdish fighters who are battling ISIS. But Turkey says that the Kurdish group is a terrorist organization and has recently been shelling their positions at the same time that it's hitting ISIS. Yikes. Wow. That's a mess. That's a mess. Um, And do you remember this report last week? Well, right now, new worries about America's nuclear arsenal, especially concerning the weapons located in Turkey. Remember we talked- oh, yeah, yeah, and we talked about how they're rushing the bases, and I was just saying, dude, just uh, tell Got to yeah. get them out of there. Yeah. Gotta get- well, we, there is just, this is something the, the Western media does not like to report on. I was really surprised we had a Fox report last week. This is the only audio I have on this, so it's a little rough, but uh, it looks like we went in there and evacuated our dukes. The Euroactive Media Platform reported that the U.S. started moving its nuclear weapons from Turkey to Romania. The reason is deterioration of relations between Washington and Ankara. So we took them to uh, Romania. Wow. Yeah, that's where they. That's where our nukes are going to go. Uh, Glad we got now. it from Pravada.ru. Yeah, you yes. like that? Nice job. Was that Matt? Producer Matt? Yeah, producer Matt. Nice job. He went man. out. He did the, the long-distance get for that one. Uh, all right. That's really, that's kind of all I have for the whole uh, terrorism category. But before we completely wrap it up, there is a little um, issue about Russia using that Iran base last week. We talked about yeah. Russia. Yeah. yeah. Turns out that might be in conflict with um, some UN security resolutions that Russia signed on. Oh, really? Yeah. Russia might might have had a little party foul. There are increased hopes for greater international cooperation in Syria. It follows Iran allowing Russia to use one of its air bases to uh, conduct anti-ISIL strikes. And China now saying it will offer military help to the Syrian government. Guyana Chichikan got reaction from the U.S. State Department. That seems like a big deal. If yeah. China is backing Assad, that means we're now we're sending in, we're sending in uh, our advisors and the people that we're training and the people that we're arming and the rebels that we quote unquote support and quote unquote back. They're going to be killing potentially Russian and Chinese fighters. Oh or boy, back. this is getting super messy. Oh. This is getting real messy and complicated. Iran and Russia say they have a strategic cooperation in Syria. For the first time, Russian jets flew out of an Iranian airbase to target ISIL and al-Nusra in Syria. U.S. State Department's Mark Turner called it unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but not surprising or unexpected. Russia continuing to carry out airstrikes um, 
and now it appears with Iran's uh, direct assistance. He said it was unfortunate that, that Russia flew out of the Iranian airbase. Russian authorities said that the strikes had eliminated uh, five major terrorist weapons depots and training compounds in the area. Do you have information to refute that? Uh, if no, do you think it is unfortunate that they're targeting terrorist depots? And <laughs> What kind of question is that? Oh, man, she's so great. Oh, Gaina. It's unfortunate that they're targeting terrorist depots and weapons we pose and uh so, training uh, facilities sure. uh fair question uh, he seems like he's being a lot nicer to her don't you think yeah he, he maybe he was told to tone it down uh, i'd refer you to always to the department of defense who does this kind of analysis what we continually find is indeed there are among the airstrikes uh, what we would consider legitimate strikes against nusra against dash isil whatever ISIS. But we also continue to see <laughs> yeah, strikes he literally he had whatever. that look. He had that look like uh, one of those Ash, organizations. ISIL. Yeah, he just did it right there. Yeah, uh, he just shrugged it off, like you know, whatever the hell we're calling it. We can't. We never yeah, came what, to a decision. Whatever we're calling it this week. But we also continue to see strikes that target moderate Syrian opposition forces. The U.S. may think Russia's cooperation with Iran in Syria is unfortunate, but we're now learning that China is seeking closer military ties with Syria. A senior Chinese military official just visited Damascus, where he met with the Syrian defense minister, sought to strengthen military ties, and according to Chinese news agency Xinhua, pledged assistance in training Syrian forces. No, 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 no. What are your thoughts about China's support for the Syrian government? I can't speak to what their intentions may or may not be in terms of uh, working cooperatively with this. I had a question about uh, the Indian minister visiting Syria. And uh, yep. the minister is meeting the, uh, the, the president and is also supporting, like, you know. And now you have the reports of China supporting. China, India, Iran, Russia. Now Russia, now Iran. So there is a coalition that is supporting the the Syrian regime. Fuck the EU. Uh, so do we still stand um, on that point that uh, Assad has to go? Look, I mean, I don't want to uh, give any kind of credence or to your your question saying that there's some kind of pro-Assad coalition forming. They may not be pro-Assad, but to go after terrorists in Syria, Russia, Iran and China support the Syrian army, while the U.S.-led coalition supports the rebels. Oy. That's a heavy situation. That's one of the heaviest situations we're following right now, I think. Right, and it keeps getting worse, it, it feels like. And, it. and it just seems like we keep making the same mistakes over and over. Yeah. I don't understand. Like we, that's the definition of insanity, right? Oh, I actually don't know if that's technically true. I think that's, that might be. A, I think that might be a folklore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> remember, all this feels like a, this is a lot of follow. Two hundred was big, and so there's a lot of stories to follow up on. Yeah. Uh, the payment to Iran, not a ransom payment. Not told you, called not. it, called it. Wait, it is. It is. Yeah. 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 It is. And you know what, Chase? Yeah. They kind of have to admit it. The White House facing a new round of criticism yep. after admitting that a $400 million payment to Iran in January was, quote, uh, used as leverage in the release of four American prisoners. Quote, unquote, leverage. Right. Our White House correspondent, Kevin Cork, is live from Martha's Vineyard, where the president is on vacation following this story from that point. Kevin? 
Hey, Jenna, good day to you. I want you to follow the timeline along with me. I think this will be really instructive for the viewers at home. As you pointed out, back in January, the Iranians who had been holding five Americans captive did finally release them. Now, at the same time, the U.S. sent the Iranians about $400 million in cash. It is important to point out that was Iran's money. It actually dated back to the late 1970s. But it's the timing of sending that money that's really raising a lot of eyebrows. They now, let's PayPal? face it, critics at the time said it was a ransom. The Obama administration no. pushed back saying, no, 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 it wasn't. Skeptics howled, side eyes were given, until finally Wait. yesterday they admitted the money was used as leverage in sealing the deal. Wow. We took advantage of the timing uh, to converge these all within a 24-hour period. And <laughs> I love it. That's how they uh, <laughs> you hear how converge. We, said we took we took advantage of the timing, which is pretty close to what I said last week. Uh, to converge these all within a 24-hour period, and we used. I, 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 and I make no apologies uh, for the fact that the that at the, at the end game, in the very final hours, we used the leverage of having that money. It was ransom. We now know it was ransom. And on top of that, it put more American lives at risk. Hmm. Meantime, we have a statement from the Speaker's office. Doug Andrews helping us out. He says, hmm. quote, as the president once acknowledged paying ransom, risk endangering more Americans and funding the very terrorism that we're trying to stop. He owes the American people a full and honest accounting of the ransom payment Made in January. That was now, from the speaker of the speaker. Yeah, the speaker for the speaker. <laughs> How about that? For Speaker Ryan. That's just a just an interesting, weird, twisty story, Chase. And well, we just uh, needed $400 million of leverage. They should have done it all in Bitcoin, apparently like the Russians do. Patreon.com slash unfilter. That's where you go to support this show. Keep us on the air. You also get access to the supporter sync at different levels. Of course, you get the privilege of keeping us on the air. Yeah. And almost every single week, I also, even if you're just not, if you just want to visit the page and you're not supporting us, I post the... Uh, the full live stream if you'd like yeah. to watch it. So we are a user-funded show. No outside corporation is influencing or what government. we should talk about. No, it's the way <laughs> news should be. And if you've been watching the news and shaking your head at how awful it is, you can actively participate in a better solution. Totally. Now, do we have anything, Mr. Chase? We do. Of course we do. So, what? Yeah, we're going deep in the Chase's sack. Dude, it's creepy, yo. Very creepy, yo. All right, all right. Well, go ahead. I, I missed the upbeat. Stuff. I know. Well, see, I had a little soundboard disaster. So, so you, mi- you you lost the upbeat. Well, stuff. I got. Yes. Hey, everybody! It's time for Chase's sack. We got a few notes in our club thirty-three. <laughs> okay. Uh, first one came in from Martin. He says, "Hey, as a U.S. citizen born abroad, I can cast my vote in November. I'm torn, though. It's like having to choose between a turd sandwich." Or a giant douche. Google it. I think Trump would lean more on experts and advisors and focus more on domestic issues than Hillary. Hillary's focus, on the other hand, is more international, with her eyes firmly set on the Middle East. Do I cast? I'd say Russia, too. Yeah. Do I cast a vote uh, when those are my options? Go Johnson? (laughs) Apart from that, nothing much to report from Norway this week. On an unrelated note, if you guys decide to visit Norway one day and pass through Bergen, beers on me. Hey! All right. All right. They're nice. Stefan. Stefan Esk writes in says, Hi, Chris and Chase. Please keep posting the mailbag early. It helps a lot. That episode 200 episode poster is awesome. Yeah, producer Matt just got his in the chat room. Wow, really? Yeah. That's fast. 
And it got me thinking. I like the swag, but I assume posting to Scandinavia is expensive. And although I like the swag, I actually want much of the money as possible landing inside your pockets. Oh, man. Like the military industrial complex. No, he What did, a I, nice I, dude. I, I added that part. Uh, you know, sometimes Angela checks in to see if you really want the expensive stuff. So you can you can let her know. Well, he's, he goes on. He, okay. He goes, therefore, I propose a new unfiltered tier at $40 or the like where you only get super swag like that poster once a year oh, yeah. or when appropriate. Super swag. Now, <laughs> now on to the state of U.S. election coverage in Denmark. Generally, the coverage is one-sided leaning hard into the Democratic narrative. Think CNN. The emails and scam-like Clinton Foundation is only covered very sparsely. Ta- talking with reasonably well-educated people about the one-sided media coverage is personally suicidal, as most people truly believe the propaganda. As we all know, Trump did ask the Russians to hack the DNC. <laughs> Wait, what? Huh? It is almost as bad as the migrant problem. On one hand, no politician would ever talk straight about migrants, even though it places a big load on our welfare system. It's bad press. On the other hand, they cut down on elder care, feed them airline-style vacuum-packed meals, and even at one point discussing it if it was practical to replace some of the weekly showers with wet nap wiping. That's no joke. Wow. Like Sweden and France, we too have some zones where police and media are simply not welcome. Sad cases of failed integration swept away under the rug, never be mentioned or discussed. Your show's important. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the report from Denmark, by the way. That's, yeah, that was heavy, though. I love it. That was heavy. I love the good. international coverage. Yeah, I do, too. I do last too. message comes in. Actually, we have two messages. Uh, next to last message comes in from The Blade. It says, hey, Chase. Things are pretty quiet here, other than the guy who just drove off the road and slammed into a couple of trees a couple of hundred feet from our house. Yikes. He looked okay. Been watching a lot of the Olympics. Nice change to the political circus up until Lachi, Lachi, whatever his name is, had to mess that up. We'll cover it a little yeah, bit we're gonna cover time. a little, Yeah, I'm guessing you've seen all the Hillary campaign ads. Actually, we don't see them here up in Washington because we're like solid blue, so they only usually yeah. put the campaign ads We have to go in. looking for them, and it's not something... We, we do a lot. Of, no, no. Who does? I've re- just recently seen a new one, which is laughable for anyone who listens to your show, but scary when thinking about how many people are swayed by it. I couldn't find the ad only, but here's a link to MSNBC playing the ad and discussing it. Anyway, just some more ridiculousness to discuss. Lastly, did you even talk about the Clinton Fox interview where she even stated director Comey said her answers were truthful? Then seems to blame the other people she was emailing? Uh, that's a good question. We covered it in the meta sense that we covered the reporting about it. Just didn't want to play the whole interview because it was boring. And I don't think it was particularly shocking to any of our audience. But we did cover uh, clips that played clips of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry if you've covered any of these. Lots of information in all your broadcasts. Anyway, keep up the great broadcast. My wife and I really enjoy it. And thanks for the 200 poster, which we just received. Very cool. Nice. Last message comes in from Bill C. He says, hey, guys, love the show. Just wondering when I can come by and get some more barbecue. And that's from Bill C. Remember, I secretly use Arch Linux. The hell was that? If you want to be a supporter and put your mail in my sack, join us at patreon.com slash unfilter. <laughs> And you are enjoying this. Oh, it's a good segment. Club 33. Uh, love having you guys join us. And that's episode 201. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Mr. Chase. We should probably get into uh, something that's 
It's it's a very local domestic issue in the sense, but uh, I'm shocked at the coverage of this. I remember when Katrina hit, and I know some people have talked about it. I'm not the first person to bring this up, but when Katrina hit, Bush's response to that was really scrutinized. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It was it was put under a big magnifying glass about the, the lack of response and, you know, yeah. Brownlee's doing a great job. Right, right. He was out, you know, attending a fundraiser. I, I, with the situation in Louisiana, I, I'm shaking my head that it's not getting... Welcome back. Topping our national lead. Moments ago, President Obama wrapped up his trip to Louisiana. That- so he makes it over a week after the flood. He finally goes out there. Why is this not as much of a controversy? The region torn apart by devastating floods. Now, in part with Bush, it was the uh, it was the FEMA response too that was also criticized. Right. Yeah. The president saw for himself how the rain ravaged homes and neighborhoods. He met with residents in Baton Rouge, but critics say this came a little too late. I want to bring in White House correspondent Michelle Kaczynski. Michelle, the president really fired back at critics who said that he should have visited Louisiana sooner. Right, John. I mean, he brought it up because he knows it's being brought up, most notably by that Baton Rouge local paper's editorial a few days ago, wondering why President Obama was playing golf while Louisiana was suffering. And today, the paper didn't criticize him. They welcomed him. And and President Obama really wanted to focus on the long-term federal response. But here's in part how he addressed that criticism. Now, look, sometimes once the floodwaters pass people's attention spans pass. Uh, This is not a one-off. This is not uh, a a photo op issue. I guarantee you, nobody on this block, none of those first responders, nobody gives a hoot whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Not really responding to the criticism. Yeah. No. No. Uh, And, you know, what do you think about the argument that uh, it actually causes a pretty big disruption in work if the president visits? That was the Obama administration's original. you know what? I, I actually agree a little bit with him on in that because he's going to be damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Because yeah. let's say he goes there on day one, right? He shows up. He's there. Then people are going to say, oh, yeah, he's just trying to show up and be more political. And, you know, they're going to throw it that one way or the other. It does look bad that Trump beat him there, though. Yeah, but really, how long was Trump there? He cut off the airplane. Was he at the airport and jumped back on? That's what I heard. But yeah, I, I wasn't really. But still covering that it it got him headlines saying trump playing the president's role he made him look a little presidential for a bit um i want to i want to before we talk about trump i want to talk about something that came up right after the show last week and it was i started seeing a lot of stuff that was well colin powell this colin powell this oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. let's cover a little bit the new york times is reporting tonight that hillary clinton told the fbi that former secretary of state colin powell had advised her to use a personal email account. The Times reports that the FBI notes of their interview with Secretary Clinton, which were handed over to Congress on Tuesday, reveal that she told the FBI about former Secretary of State Powell's advice. And the Times notes that a new book to be published next month by Joe Conison tells of a dinner party hosted by former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright with other former Secretaries of State at her home in Washington who were there to give advice to incoming Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Colin Powell was there along with Henry Kissinger and Condoleezza Rice. In his book, Joe Conison says Powell told her to use her own email as he had done. 
So this is a message that the Clinton campaign was pushing hard last yeah, week. Right. And uh, I, what I love about it is Colin Powell just basically this game. This is this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't think it was possible. Another twist in Hillary Clinton's email scandal. Colin Powell breaking his silence on the matter, saying she's trying to make him the fall guy. Now, as you may recall, Clinton has thrown around Powell's name quite a bit in defense of her use of a private email server. Secretary Powell has admitted he did exactly the same thing. He had such a distinguished record. You know, I, I have served my country as well. We both did the same thing. Now we know Colin Powell had a private email account. Just recently, Colin Powell's emails uh, were retroactively classified from more than 10 years ago. As he said, that was an absurdity. I could not agree more. Okay, so there's that. And then she even reportedly told the FBI that he was the one who suggested that she use a private account in the first place. But Powell is now saying that is not true. At an event this weekend, Powell was quoted saying, Clinton's people have been trying to pin it on me. The truth is she was using the private email server for a year before I sent her a memo telling her what I did. This, of course, raises... Yeah, I got more. Well, we have, we'll have more coverage on the overtime coming up. But, yeah, that was, I thought, pretty good. Just smack that down right away. So now there's this 15,000 new email. Well, like 14,900. Right. Yeah, another Nearly 15,000 more of Hillary Clinton's private emails from her time as U.S. Secretary of State have been uncovered by the FBI. The Democratic presidential nominee previously insisted she turned over all of her work-related messages back in 2014, though. It's the court who wanted answers to these questions. Mrs. Clinton didn't want to provide them. This is the president of Judicial Watch, Tom Fitton. None of this has been voluntary. This is the result of the FBI going and getting records. The FBI has just discovered 15,000 new emails from Hillary Clinton's private server. That's about half as many as they already had. Now, the FBI has been investigating this case for over two years, and you would think that by now they would have discovered everything, but apparently emails that are sitting in a single, easily hackable private server can be quite difficult to find. Now, Hillary Clinton said she had turned over all of the emails she had that were related to her work as Secretary of State, but it looks like she may not have been telling the truth. Again, apparently 200 of the new emails are actually related to her work as Secretary of State. The emails show that Clinton staffers were actually tapped to set up meetings and arrange favors for individuals who were listed as, quote, good friends of ours. Oh. Now, how does one become a good friend with Hillary Clinton? <laughs> uh, I'll take easy answers about Hillary Clinton for 200 hours. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yes. Uh, donating money to the Hillary Clinton Foundation. Yep. For a second time this episode. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So this uh, let's go a little bit further into that. This is a map of the world, and these are the specific countries in this world that have given millions to the Clinton Foundation over the years. 10 to 25 million from Australia, Uh. Norway, and Saudi Arabia. Oh, good. 5 to 10 million from the Netherlands and Kuwait. Okay. Between 1 and 5 million from Oman, the United Arab Emirates, Uh and Brunei. Oh, good. And it's not just countries. Individual foreign donors and foreign groups make up a huge share of donations to the Clinton Foundation. The campaign now says if Hillary Clinton becomes president, any foreign donations like these will no longer be accepted. Did you hear about that? So if if she becomes president, the foundation will no longer accept donations from corporations or foreign governments. Wow. Eh, It could be. We'll see. All right. All right. right. Yeah. Uh, So now this is barely scratching the surface. The AP is the one that broke 
what's in some of these emails. They, they're the ones that actually did the searching, and uh, the details are fascinating. A new AP report finds more than half of her private meetings were with donors to the Clinton Foundation. So as Secretary of State, her meetings, over half of them, were with her donors. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge is live in our D.C. Bureau She's with promised. an update on this. Aww. Good morning, Catherine. Well, thank you, Martha. The Associated Press sued for Clinton's calendars and found that more than half of the people who met with or had scheduled phone calls with Secretary Clinton donated to her family charity or pledged money to its international program. Coincidence. The 85 donors contributed $156 million. Pure, <laughs> pure coincidence. And 20 of those donors gave more than a million dollars. Wow! Newly released emails from a separate lawsuit are now fleshing out the role of Dennis Chang, a key fixer. We have a new name in the Clinton army. A fixer. Yeah, Dennis Chang. It's one we didn't really have uh, eyes on before. He's the fixer. Who has worn many hats for Bill and Hillary Clinton, from fundraising at the Clinton Foundation, where according to published reports, Chang built a donor base of more one quarter billion dollars. Wow. One of the fascinating things about uh, the Clinton Foundation is one of the reasons they have such a good rating is because how easily they raise money uh, in relation to how much they spend. Right. They make they make uh, they make a hundred dollars for every dollar they spend or for every two dollars they spend in that ratio. So it rates the Clinton Foundation. That's one of the things apparently that makes a a, a, a charity uh, high rated. And uh, one of the other really fascinating things when you watch the Clinton Foundation is you see how it serves as a revolving door to give high-paying positions to the Clintons' favorite people. So when you are when you are one of the Clinton elites in part of their inner circle, when they come in and out of different government positions, you know, senator, secretary of state, president, uh, first lady. When they move between these different positions, the time in between, their inner circle has guaranteed high-paying jobs at the foundation. And then when they, and then when Hillary gets to become Secretary of State, she takes people out of the foundation and brings them into the State Department. It's he, a circle of life. This is one. Of, so the foundation gives these people guaranteed payment by the by the Clintons. Wow. To serving as Secretary Clinton's deputy chief of protocol of the State Department. So then, after he's done at the foundation, right? So he's when now now when she becomes Secretary of State, this is his job: is greeting uh, dignitaries. Billion dollars to serving as Secretary Clinton's deputy chief of protocol of the State Department, where he greeted heads of state such as British Prime Minister Tony Blair, you see here, to now serving as national finance director for Clinton's presidential campaign. The new emails show how Chang worked directly with longtime Clinton aide and fixer Huma Abedin to seamlessly share information with Secretary Clinton about the foundation's fundraising events, objectives, and major donors. We'll go more into Uma in the uh, overtime, but uh, yeah, oh. she's an interesting character to watch, too. So the question really is now pretty, pretty much answered. Did Clinton do pay-for-play politics? It's pretty obvious the answer is yes at this point. Brian Ross joins us now with more on those newly released emails involving the Clinton Foundation and a top advisor to Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State. Good morning to you, Brian. Well, good morning, Amy. This new batch of emails shows how friends of the Clintons appear to have sought special favors, access, when she was Secretary wait, of State. Wait, Chris, this is on ABC? Yeah. Yeah, they, this whole report is actually pretty interesting to be on ABC. Are you sure? Because I see a lot of red, white, and blue. Are you sure this isn't Fox? I, I actually was surprised to see ABC run this report too. I'm, you know, just I'm throwing it out there, you guys, because you know we we've seen it a lot where MSNBC, CNN, ABC, a lot of the mainstream networks lean towards Clinton. You've seen CBS Fox, too. yes, Fox too, uh, Fox on the other side, excuse me. Um, but to see this coming from ABC, that's eh, interesting. 
Yeah, I'll also have a report uh, from NBC, same thing. They actually do some actual investigating. Wow. Yeah, it's strange. It's odd because they're actually doing their it's job. It's like the first time this has happened the entire election. Special favors access when she was Secretary of State, precisely what she said she would not do at her confirmation hearings. <laughs> it was her promise under oath that there would be no special treatment for donors to the Clinton Foundation. That will not influence, it will not be in the atmosphere. Yet the emails showed the Crown Prince of Bahrain, after first trying normal channels, was only able to arrange for a meeting with the Secretary of State after intervention by the Clinton... Interesting to her, I don't remember why her arm was in a sling there. That's interesting. Did she fall? Uh, yeah, several times she's fallen. Yeah. There's, there's, there's also some that say... Like the No Agenda believes, or at least uh, uh, John does, that she was in a plane crash. Oh wow! So see her with her arm in a sling is kind of interesting. But anyways, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I just that, yeah. that imagery I haven't seen that picture very much. After first trying normal channels, was only able to arrange for a meeting with the Secretary of State after intervention by the Clinton Foundation, to which his government had given between fifty and one hundred thousand dollars. Clinton Foundation executive Doug Ban wrote to Clinton's aide, Huma Abedin, that the crown prince was a good friend of ours. Uh. The meeting was arranged within 48 hours. Nice. Offering Wick. Bahrain CP 10 tomorrow for meeting with HRC, the initials of Hillary Rodham Clinton. From whom? Mrs. Clinton and her staff uh, treated uh, the State Department as an arm of the Clinton Foundation. I'd like to invite to the stage... Raj Fernando. And as previously reported by ABC News, another big foundation donor, Rajiv Fernando, a Chicago commodities trader, was appointed to a sensitive international security board by Secretary Clinton, even though he had no known experience in the area. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did yeah. run that report. Yeah, this they is, did. They have done one before. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then when they exposed it, that guy quit the next day. Yeah. Yeah, he was out quick. When we first reported on the connection, Fernando went after our cameras and threatened to have us arrested. Fernando will be arrested. I'll be arrested for for asking questions of this man? He resigned after we raised questions about his appointment. And when we spotted him at last month's Democratic convention, he was there as a Clinton superdelegate. (laughs) And a foundation donor and somebody that she had appointed to a special position. I mean, it just, it's all right there, everyone. Right as we're leading into the election. So, again, I throw out there, Hillary supporters, I would love to know, how can you blindly support and go, yep, I'm going with, I'm with her after all this? I just don't get it. There's a lot of one-issue voters and party, party line voters. Uh, I'm just trying to uh, help uh, Senator Clinton get elected. Senator. The new emails were obtained by a group called Judicial Watch, which a Clinton campaign spokesperson dismissed as a right-wing organization that's been going after the Clintons since the 1990s. The spokesperson said, despite those emails, Clinton never took action as Secretary of State because of donations to the Clinton Foundation. But there's lots of documentation that proves that to be false, really. But it doesn't matter if Judicial Watch is right, left, center, upside down. I don't give a rip of who they are. The evidence is the evidence. The emails are the emails. Right. I don't, I mean, that should, it's irrelevant. Totally agree. Totally agree. 
Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Lau, I'm warming you up for your prediction here in a bit, but we got to do just a. I have just some real quick uh, Trump's clips too for the election. Yeah. Uh, you know, have you noticed that the the whole question about Hillary's health has finally just bubbled up to the regular media? Like people are talking about Hillary's health, but mostly in the we shouldn't be talking about Hillary's health kind of context. Oh, okay. We shouldn't be. This is this is sort of a faux pas. We shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't. She's totally fine. You can't diagnose somebody from afar. Dr. Drew got in trouble for making some claims that apparently weren't true. Uh, There's been some pictures. We've all seen them, but people say they're different circumstances. They're taken okay. from certain angles. Right. We shouldn't talk about Bad Hill- shadows. It's, it's sexist. It's, it's the bad pixels form. Aren't there. Don't talk about Hillary's health. Now Donald Trump's. This presidential election, many spin doctors are posing as real doctors. She also lacks the mental and physical stamina. But when it comes to strength and stamina or anything else, what do we really know about Donald Trump's health? The only real document we have is this letter from his personal physician, Dr. Harold Bornstein. What struck me as a doctor is the language used. A recent medical exam showed only positive results. In medicine, positive results can mean a negative outcome. Details such as a normal blood pressure and that he takes a daily aspirin and statin are important, but don't really tell you anything about his overall health now. Dr. Bornstein signs the letter as a fellow of the American College of Gastroenterologists. But Hmm. when we spoke to the association, they said he hasn't been a member there in more than 20 years. And despite signing on behalf of Lenox Hill Hospital's Division of Gastroenterology, he's not listed on staff and just has admitting privileges at the hospital. That does seem a little sketch. It's interesting they're not doing this digging into Hillary, though, huh? Jeez. And finally, the letter ends with, quote, if elected, Mr. Trump, you, I could. You notice the date of that letter? What was it? It was December of 2015. Yeah. So they're they're they've they've been holding on to this. Well, no, it, it has come up. I have heard of it before. Really? Yeah, I've heard. I've specifically uh, this line. I heard once before. Here, let okay. me. Oh, back at it. Just I've I've heard this. I've never it's heard funny, this much you know, of it. They're 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 bringing it up yeah. now. But. Well, because Hillary's health is being brought up now. Did right. Mr. Trump? I can state unequivocally will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. That, of course, <laughs> is simply unknowable. That's this president- I thought that was a pretty good line. So I almost felt like Donald Trump wrote it and then the doctor signed it with that last line there. And, and there good. are some things that she's probably okay with. <laughs> Sorry. There's, uh, yeah. There is also a new guy running the Trump campaign. His name is uh, Steve Bannon. And uh, he's Steve. Fo- he just came from Breitbart. America's election headquarters in death tonight. A look at the new man in charge of the Trump campaign. Steve Bannon is not your traditional political wonk. He's a former film producer who likes Shakespeare and rap music. He also has a history of working against the Republican establishment. And he's proud of that. Now, as the head of the Trump campaign, he's supposed to be working with Republican leaders. Correspondent Doug McKelway has tonight's in-depth report. Whether Donald Trump becomes president may rest on this man, campaign CEO Stephen Bannon. Bannon is the former chief of conservative Breitbart News. A recent profile in Bloomberg Businessweek states that Bannon's reported motto is taken from a YouTube clip viewed 79 million times of the fearless honey badger who, quote, don't give an expletive. One former employee describes Bannon this way. Volatile, angry, driven, aggressive. 
mean, Steve Bannon is is the type of fellow who will who will step on anyone and over anybody to get to the top. Former editor at large, but you also got to wonder what kind of douchebag is willing to go on TV and say that about somebody. Yeah, no kidding. That's the nice part, according to Shapiro. Traits that win cutthroat elections. Then there's the other side. Bannon's appeal to the alt right. The alt right is sort of a nationalist populist movement that shot shot through uh, with white supremacism and and anti-Semitism, uh, and you can see it in in the Breitbart comment section. Steve, no. I wouldn't. I, tr- I would not. I also would be careful associating stuff that's in the comments. Section yeah. with, I mean, you could say maybe he encouraged a culture of that, but that's that's a that's pretty loose association. Was that the DNC apparently agrees? It has just released this attack ad of people reading headlines from Breitbart News. Bill Crystal, Republican spoiler, renegade Jew. <laughs> the solution to online harassment is simple: women should log off. But it would be foolish for Bannon's opponents to underestimate him. This former naval officer and Goldman Sachs banker also holds a Harvard MBA with honors. He actually studies people on the left, not the right, and actually deconstructs the, the liberals he thinks are most effective. Bannon put those lessons together in a 2011 documentary on Ronald Reagan. You know, and if you think about it, since he's taken over Trump's campaign, Trump has said he's softening on immigration, possibly. Uh, uh, he's ap- attempted to appeal to black voters. Right. Uh, but Beck says that this uh, Bannon guy is uh, – or Bannon. This Bannon guy is bad news. Bad news. You know, it's it's quite amazing. Um, there is a hall pass for the next 48 hours for all Republicans. Anybody who is on the bandwagon, uh, Donald Trump has just given you the greatest gift and a warning. It's going to get ugly. Uh, and now is the time to jump ship. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. Chris, can you do me a favor? I don't think so, Glenn. We need to add another level uh, in our Patreon. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So when we get to, like, what, 6,000 or whatever, that we can have a set. Mm, Just like Glenn. I mean, mean, just to sit down at the couch and just, just... just, just rap. Just rap about the politics. Gosh, Jace. You know, right now I'm just thinking to myself, there's only one thing that would actually be pretty amazing, and that's if your buddy. My good friend. Gary Johnson. Hey! Pulled ahead. Jobs or there won't be jobs, and right now there's a reverse migration taking place because there are more jobs in Mexico than there is the United States, and illegal crossings, crossings of the border right now are like at a decade low right now. Uh, the presidential debate is one month away. Your poll numbers are ticking up in the right direction. They're r- ratcheting up, Here's yes. Here's the latest yes. Fox News poll. Um, you're at 12%. So I think that you need to hit 15%, they've said. 15 in five national polls that are picked by the committee. Picked by the committee, and in those five polls, uh, when they came out and announced that, which was a couple of weeks ago, our consensus number was 10. So. We're kind of optimistic that this might actually happen. We're raising money uh, in a way that, uh, by comparison to Trump and Clinton, uh, it's it's not their numbers, but it's enough money for, perhaps to launch into, uh, you know, to a name recognition uh, um, campaign. Seventy percent of Americans still don't know who I am, and I think that bodes well for actually winning the race at some point. I do. He seems like he's going in with his eyes open. Yeah, right? absolutely. He's like, he knows that. I mean, he's he said it on many occasions that, you know, if he doesn't get in the debates, he's not going to make it. So this is his only shot. 
but he firmly believes if he makes it into the debates, he's going to have a chance. Americans still don't know who I am. And I think that bodes well for actually winning the race at some point. I do. I, we still hold to the belief, me and Bill Weld hold to the belief that uh, we might be the next president, vice president. The last uh, question is, the, the one that dogs the third party candidate is the spoiler question. It's it's always yeah, been like yeah, that since. Yeah. In fact, Rolling Stone just uh just said, don't vote for Gary Johnson yesterday because uh, you're going to spoil it for Hillary. Dynamic was created in America. Y- you have been increasingly critical of both candidates, especially Trump. You come out and see him as uh, disingenuous, as that he's trying to pull something over on the American people. Most of the tabulations show that you will draw more from Clinton than Trump. Is that something that is of any increasing concern to you, or you're still where you've always been, which is, I'm for Johnson, whatever else happens happens. No, a wasted vote is voting for somebody that you don't believe in, and uh, I'm halfway believing that uh, as this gets really close to the election, are you going to waste your vote on Trump or Clinton when Johnson's out there as a pick, as a viable pick? That's what I'm holding to, Chris. Governor Gary Johnson, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I think it's an interesting answer. Um, It's not of what you're voting for who you want is not a wasted vote. No, it's not. Should I should I share my thoughts on this? Sure. Because, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, I I put out a tweet earlier today. I said, Red Book prediction, Gary Johnson will be in the debates. And the reason is, there's a lot of reasons at play here. But remember, I always say this. I say, show me the money. And I also come from the media background, uh, lots of years involved in that. And one thing's for certain in this election is unpredictability gets ratings. And obviously, when you saw... Trump in the debates, you know, big numbers. When you saw Trump at the convention, big numbers. And of course, there's going to be big numbers. But here's the other thing, the potential wild card. Right now, there are a lot of Republicans, uh, high Republicans, that like Johnson. I mean, hell, we've we've heard from Romney saying, you know, hey, if Bill Wild was on top of the ticket, he'd have my vote. So there's a lot of people that actually do follow what's going on with the Libertarian Party and know what's going on there. We've already heard reports that if they don't quite get the 15% that the commission is willing to let it happen anyway. So I I honestly think that with all those factors in play, plus having better ratings, having an incredible election season, even getting better, I think he makes it in. And and that's why I would uh, like I would like to hear people's thoughts unfiltered.reddit.com or leave a YouTube comment if you're watching on YouTube, if you think Johnson will get in, because I'm looking at the numbers right now. Uh, and the Real Clear Politics average puts him at 8.7 poll. Uh, the highest he scores is 11 on NBC. Pew Research puts him at 10. Uh, but then he really starts to drop off after that. Well, He's only got a 6 by The Economist. I think, though, Bloomberg when you nine. look at how friendly all of the uh, – <laughs> if you see how friendly all the major news organizations are to Johnson right now. CNN's been friendly. Fox has been friendly. They've done these town halls. They've laid off the weed stuff. They've, you know, and even when they hit him with the weed stuff, you know what? He takes it in stride and it's building. I think it really is building. I mean, you look at his online presence. I mean, we saw last week on the on the show that under 35s uh, in Colorado, he's beating (laughs) Trump and Hillary. So we'll see what happens. But I really think he makes it into the debates and it's going to make the political season a little bit more interesting. I do agree. I do agree. And uh, in fact, uh, when you uh, tra- when you click over at the Real Clear Politics site, they can break it down on the average and different uh, different states and stuff like that. Right. Some states are not po- even polling for Johnson, which is kind of a bummer. Well, the reason why they're not polling 
is they may not be even including him in the poll. And that's where that's what I mean. Right. And that's a problem. And so I think though, if he gets close, he'll make it in. All right, uh, I have officially put it in the red book for episode 201. Nice. There you go, Mr. Chase. Thank you, sir. Should we wrap it up on a high note? Let's, you know what? I like to end shows on a high note. There was a story last week that escaped us from the high note category, and it seems to be good for states that are legalizing cannabis. Not necessarily good for individuals smoking it, but good for the states getting into the biz. Heather, thank you. New tonight at 10 o'clock, a federal appeals court banned the Justice Department from prosecuting medical marijuana cases if no state laws were broken. Federal prosecutors argued that Congress meant only to bar the department from taking legal action against states and it could still prosecute individuals who violate federal marijuana laws. For states like ours, the court ordered trial judges to conduct hearings to determine if prosecutions can continue. It seems like uh, it seems like a good news because it's starting to set up that the federal government can't go after the states. If I read that right, right. and that's you know that's huge. a good good call because obviously the federal judges are seeing this and they're like, listen, you can't have it both ways. Right. You can't say you're going to allow the states to do it if they keep it tightly regulated, and then decide we're going to cherry pick and go after people. I agree. And uh, otherwise, they should have just shut it down from the beginning. Shut it down. I don't think it's too late. That that is officially that worm is officially out. It's out. It's out. That cat is out of that bag. Out of that bag, Chase. Cliche. That box of Pandora's. Stop. Okay, sorry. (laughs) All right, so the Unfiltered Show has come to an end, but don't worry. If you want more show, there is an overtime coming very soon with more stories and details and news that didn't fit here at the top of the show. But Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. Did you know people can supply content if there's a story they didn't see us cover? If they'd like to give us even a clip, that'd be great. Link us to a clip, unfiltered.reddit.com. Ah, Reddit. I've heard of that website. That's a forum. Did you know we also have a live stream? We do? Yeah, jblive.tv is where you watch it. That's incredible. I usually start... The pre-show stream around 3.30 Pacific. Look at you. Yeah. Doing that broadcasting thing. Yeah. So if you want to join me 3.30, just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Just remember that time in there doesn't include pre-show stream time. So show up a little early when you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Can I put out a plug for a minute here? Sure. This Sunday is a very Sunday, big Sunday. Sunday, Sunday. So at 5 o'clock after you've already had your Linux action show and you're, you're winding down of your long day, 5 o'clock Pacific time, come on over to live.geekgamer.tv because... Right. because the talk show about geeky and gaming topics is starting back the up The show again. that just never dies. It won't die. Well, it's, uh, it's been gone for a while. It, but, but it's like the Phoenix. It's, it's been gone for a year. It's it's like it's like a freaking Phoenix Eagle thing, Chase. And we're going to talk about packs. We're going to talk about lots of cool things. So please come and join us. It'd be great. Chris has been on the show many times. He even broke a chair once. That's true. Live on the show. <laughs> Uh, Where can people follow you, by the way, on the Twitter? You can follow me at Chris LAS. What about yourself? Uh, at Nunes, N U N E S. I also got the at Jupiter signal for a network news. And don't forget, if you're Club 33, we'd love to hear from you next week. There'll be a thread before the episode goes on the air where you can leave your feedback. Yes, in my sack. 202. All right. Also, thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. Overtime's coming up. And we'll see you guys next week.
episode 201 overtime has been unlocked thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfiltered overtime time it's time for overtime time time and a special thank you to a whole bunch of you who showed up for episode 200 we have new patrons that this segment is dedicated to DL Casio IDK what to put 15 that's deep man that's deep Matt C, RM, Ryan, Martin, Sam, Kevin, Austin, Brett, Alex, Steve, Dan, Jan, and by the way, Alex might be care of Tom, so shout out to Tom also, and Phil. That's a nice list. I think that's our best list yet, so thank you, everybody. Thank you for supporting your locally homegrown, all-organic, small-batch news here at the Unfiltered Show. I got a lot to cover in the overtime, and it's something we've talked a lot about. You've, you know RT couldn't help but notice there seems to be a bit of a media bias against Russia at the moment, and uh, they claim that uh, it's all about those military-industrial complex profits. And you know what? They make a pretty good case. It's Monday, August 22nd, 4 p.m. in Washington, D.C. I'm Simone Del Rosario. You're watching RT America. For about a year and a half, the anti-Russian rhetoric in the United States has really amped up, both on television screens and in official speeches. When looking at why, comments made by U.S. defense contractors may shed some light on this. Apparently, picturing Russia as a threat is actually very good for business, and several military-industrial companies have already landed lucrative deals because of that. RT's Alexei Arashevsky explains. Russia hacking the DNC, Moscow planting its agent Donald Trump to disrupt U.S. presidential campaign. NATO countries should rejoice to counter the Russian aggression. These headlines over the last few months would probably make you think that the Cold War is effectively back. And if you dig deeper behind the reasons of this escalating anti-Russia rhetoric, such sentiment may not be too far off. Over the last 18 months, a number of comments made by U.S. military officials and those working for the military-industrial complex should not send any other message but one. Picturing Russia as a potent enemy is not really personal. It does wonders for the business. In December, retired Army General Richard Cody, vice president of L3 Communications, the seventh largest U.S. defense contractor, told shareholders that the industry was faced with a historic opportunity. Russia is resurgent around the world, he said, putting pressure on U.S. allies and nations that belong to NATO are supposed to spend 2% of their GDP on defense. His other quote gives even a better insight into this kind of mentality. Following the end of Cold War, Cody said, peace had pretty much broken out all over the world with Russia in decline and NATO nations celebrating. The wall came down, he said, and all defense budgets went south. Peace broke out. Unacceptable, right? In June, Stuart Brady, CEO of military contractor KBR, called tension in Ukraine as opportunities in Europe, highlighting the increase in defense spending in NATO countries opportunities, ladies and gentlemen. The National Defense Industrial Association and the Aerospace Industries Association, lobby groups for Lockheed Martin, Textron, Raytheon, both independently argued that the U.S. is not spending enough to counter the so-called Russian aggression, and the former even called on U.S. Congress to make it easier for the contractors to sell arms abroad. And finally, Stephen Hadley, former National Security Advisor to President George W. Bush, now serving on the board of Raytheon, argued for U.S. to arm Ukraine's government saying that it would raise the cost of what Russia is doing in Ukraine and that even President Putin is sensitive to body bags. Here comes the ironic part. Hadley also happens to be the chairman of the U.S. Institute of Peace. 
All those are aided by different industry-sponsored think tanks like Lexington Institute and Atlantic Council bombarding lawmakers with pleas to spend more on countering the so-called Russian threat. However, all these talk happens amid the times when U.S. and its allies massively outpower the evil Russia, and stats do not lie. While Soviet army was indeed one of the world's largest at 4 million troops, the current Russian forces are less than a quarter of that. Not to mention that the U.S. alone massively outspent the entire Russian military budget, $85 billion to $609 billion. And that's even without the NATO allies' budget. You decide for yourself whether the threat of Russia is real or not. What is real, though, is that all this pressure to spend more on arms has already made some people happy, particularly Bethesda-based Lockheed Martin Corporation, who recently won a major contract to revamp Poland's military. Oh! Alexei Roshevsky, RT, reporting from Washington, D.C. Ouch! Yikes. Yikes. While now, now, now we're talking, while we're talking about Russian attribution, let's talk about cyber. Cyber, cyber, cyber. And a little uh, code analysis from that NSA leak. What? Did you say NSA leak? NSA Oh! The National Security Agency's primary mission is to spy on the electronic communications of countries and people overseas. Over the weekend, though, sophisticated code the NSA developed to penetrate computer security systems was posted online. This serious breach comes amid the ongoing revelations of the hacking of the Democratic National Committee and other organizations, allegedly by groups linked to Russian intelligence. For more on this, we turn to the Washington Post national security correspondent, Ellen Nakashima, and Paul Vixie. He designed and built some of the software that is the backbone of the Internet today. So this gets a little dry here pretty quickly, but I'm going to let it go just for a bit because uh, there's some good tidbits in here. He's now chairman and CEO of Farsight Security, a computer security firm. Ellen Nakashima, what happened this weekend? What got released? Over the weekend, apparently on Saturday... Mysteriously, a cache of NSA hacking tools was uh, released online through file sharing sites such as BitTorrent um, and Dropbox. It really was not noticed until about Monday when the computer security community started commenting on it and questions arose as to whether or not the NSA had been hacked. So, Paul Vixie, if these lockpicks, these digital tools to try to break into different systems are out in the open now, these are the tools that the American government was using, um, what's the consequence if it's in the public sphere? Well, I think uh, every day everybody is trying to hack everybody. So this is not huge news. Uh, What's big news about it is that these tools were built by the U.S. government some of the, uh, the lockpicks, as you call them, are now obsolete. The, they are uh, relying on vulnerabilities that have since been closed uh, because the files are about three years old. But at least one of them is active against a very current piece of equipment from Cisco. And uh, it is going to lead to a lot of break-ins while the patches are prepared and uh, shipped and then applied. Ellen Nakashima, what about the idea that some of these are as recent as 2013? Um, Mm. Does the NSA know if this was a hack, if this was something more recent? The NSA officially is not commenting, but former NSA operators, personnel uh, I've interviewed were uh, actually recognized the tools that were released and said they were indeed legitimate And they don't believe that the NSA was 
actually hacked. They think it more, more likely that perhaps one of the operators at the agency uh, inadvertently uploaded a, a tool set, an entire tool set of tools, to a server, a staging server um, in, in cyberspace uh, and, and didn't recognize that and f not pull it back down. And once it was up out there, other adversaries, other spy agencies around the world are also um, sometimes sitting on these same servers. One of them might have noticed it, got it, took a copy of it, and, and, and got it without the NSA realizing it. Paul Vixie, how many people, companies, governments does this make vulnerable? Um, I haven't seen an estimate of the market size, but um, really we've got at least one of these vulnerabilities that's still current and the patch is being prepared now. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, some of the ones that are not current are also going to work because uh, many enterprise networks are not patched up to date. They can't afford the constant churn of updating their equipment, updating their software. It's true. That's sort of the problem, isn't it? And once they go online, of course, people are going to squirrel them away. We didn't talk about the uh, the Aleppo kid um, much, but I, I do want to address it a bit here in the overtime. The story's a bit heavy, but uh, let's start with this. In neighboring Syria, it took a child to open the world's eyes to the horrors there. We brought you the story behind this dramatic image last week. A young boy stunned and bloodied after he was rescued from Aleppo's rubble. Yet he is one of among tens of thousands of children trapped by war there. NBC's Kelly Cobiea with more on their struggle. And so the media for a week solid has been running just horrendous imagery. In Aleppo, the songs and smiles never last for long. A little girl singing for her family in her home when the war comes crashing in. She wasn't hurt in the airstrike. And they do this over and over again. Every network has done it. And uh, so what I like to do is uh, do a little, uh, little RT response because they just, again, go all out. The media activist who snapped the now iconic photo of that five-year-old boy who'd just been pulled out from rubble in Aleppo in Syria has been accused of having links to terrorists in the region. What? Yeah. Now, I haven't heard that on NBC. The, photo, the guy that took the photo of the kid has... Is he allegedly has links. Now, here's a video in which you can see the photographer taking that actual picture that made all the headlines. Then let's bring in this from the right. This is a photo the media activist has now deleted from his Facebook page. It was quickly pointed out by people online that in it, he's posing with the same terrorists who filmed themselves beheading a Palestinian child in July. Now, back then, their video caused great controversy, as it turned out, they were part of a group receiving support from the U.S. The photographer, for his part, responded to the allegations, claiming he didn't know the men were in no. any rebel militia. No. He also claims, in fact, that that executed child was not a child, was 19. Oh. Although most reports say he was just 12. Doesn't look 19 to me. Head of International Action Centre, Sarah Flounders, told us that the photographer is known, though, to support the rebels with whom he was pictured. Oh, wait, what? This photographer absolutely is known on Facebook, on YouTube, for continually posting images, pictures, applauding uh, the Zenke militia, a really a terrorist organization. 
well-known even before this horrendous beheading of a Palestinian Syrian child. Uh, and he is not by any stretch of the imagination a human rights activist. Uh, he calls himself a media activist, but his role has been to applaud oh. and support uh, the terrorist activity in Syria. You know, RT really takes the gloves off in the rest of the clip, showing examples of other times the media has used uh, children. Also talks about the pictures of children that were also bleeding and wounded from the U.S.-backed rebel territories that don't go on the media. But it's pretty depressing stuff, so <laughs> I'm not going to play it for you just because I don't really want to bring us that far down. But it is in the supporter sync, the entire thing, if you would like to see it. Why don't we bring the mood up, though? Philippines trash-talking president Rodrigo Duterte has insulted the United oh. Nations and threatened that what? his country could indeed separate from the organization. Screw them. Was very, very recently, it was in response to criticism over his approach to tackling drug-related crime. In fact, since July, Philippine police have reportedly killed over 700 people in oh. anti-drugs operations. His outburst later had be qualified by the country's foreign minister. You know, United Nations, if you can say one bad thing about me, I can give you ten. Repercussions, I don't ah, give a nice. to them. The statement ah. of the president is a statement expressing profound disappointment and frustration. <laughs> the foreign minister also asked people to uh, cut the president some slack, too, because he was hungry and tired while making said statement, apparently. <laughs> it wasn't uh, only the UN, he was though, angry, that came guys. under fire and deterred his latest outpouring against critics. He also criticised the actions of US authorities at home and abroad. That is, um, <laughs> that, that guy... He is, he's a great source of information. We don't get a lot of audio on it, but he... Of entertainment, I should say. <laughs> uh, now, if you'll bear with the RT, there is one more. I, you know, I saved some of these for the overtime. Uh, but this is true. It's This is a great one. It is uh, the average age of cable news viewership. Now, chatroom, can you guess the average age of a Fox News viewer, say, versus a CNN viewer? Can you guess the different ages from a Fox News viewer? And that's all about to get reported on right here. Welcome back. Well, it's been a wild year for news, and the chaos has led to more viewers tuning in to 24-hour news channels. The mainstream three, Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC, they all saw boosts in viewership while Fox News dominated the market again. MSNBC's been doing actually pretty good for the last couple of weeks, beating CNN. But even with more people tuning in, the audience does not seem to be getting much broader. Oh? The median age for Fox News viewers is 67 years old. Okay, there you go, 67. Let's see, I saw 70 by the anime in the chat room for Fox. And now we're going to get some other contrasting numbers here. MSNBC, 63. CNN, 61. To talk about the aging <laughs> audience, what networks are doing wrong and right is none other than Lionel of Lionel Media. Uh, Lionel, news consumers, they, they tend to be more mature as it is, but are we seeing the gap in the groups that consume news? Is that gap widening? Well, let me clarify something, if I could. Let's talk about the millennials, the way the people in the media talk about them. And let's agree, what are they, 18 to 29? Listen to me, what are they? Like, they're not human, they're hominids. But... Let's just assume, because that's really what everybody seems to be talking about. Simone, what these folks don't understand is that millennials love news. Love it. Absorb Absorb it. Read news. Care about news. Care about it. Pay attention. Support us at patreon.com slash unfilter. Thanks, Lionel. Good point. So uh, we got to transition a little bit. 
and to support Clinton Foundation and corruption and things that are pretty relevant as the election gets near here in the United States of America. Oh, that's what I'm missing. Holy crap. I'm missing the eagle. Oh, I got to go. I got it. So I, I had to reload my soundboard. I had a little soundboard corruption. And uh, the jeez, oh, wow. Woof. 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 Now to an NBC News investigation into the Clinton connection to a controversial for-profit university. What? Hillary Clinton has slammed some of these schools as predatory. But as NBC News senior investigative correspondent Cynthia McFadden found, husband Bill Clinton made millions from one such school. Since announcing for president, Hillary Clinton has been a vocal critic of for-profit universities in general. We will crack down on predatory schools. And of Trump University in particular. He is trying to scam America the way he scammed all those people at Trump U. But it isn't just Donald Trump who's profited. For five years, Bill Clinton was the honorary chancellor of the biggest for-profit education company in the world, Laureate Education, Inc. While Trump University is not accredited, and Laureate is, Bill Clinton was paid an enormous fee, $17.6 million over five years, visiting 19 campuses in 14 countries. The Clinton Foundation also got between $1 and $5 million from Laureate. I admire Laureate's dedication to helping the next generation of leaders. Stepping down only 12 days before his wife launched her run for the presidency. There are students who take out loans to pay for an expensive degree from a for-profit institution, only to find little support once they actually enroll. But as Secretary of State, she praised Laureate, writing to her staff that founder Doug Becker is someone who Bill likes a lot and that Laureate should be included in a State Department dinner. They were. Over the last three months, NBC News has taken a closer look at Laureate's U.S. flagship, Walden University. More than two dozen students tell us the school misled them, trapping them in staggering amounts of student loan debt. The five of you represent a million dollars of student debt sitting here. Yes. That's a lot of money. You've taken me from a successful career to poverty. Yep. These five Ph.D. students all claim Walden's constant churning of faculty and standards caused them to go further and further in debt while raking in profits for the university. They're part of a group of 80 students who hope to file a class action lawsuit. I had five committee members over the six years. So they kept changing. That's part of that scam that we are talking about. Laureate tells us their program is high quality, vigorous and challenging. And a 2012 Senate report says Walden was perhaps the best of any company examined. Laureate and Walden declined to give us graduation rates for their PhD candidates, but pointed us to three students who said they were satisfied with their experiences. Uh One who got his PhD on a full scholarship. Is it possible that you just don't have what it takes to get a PhD? Even then, they should have told us. You don't keep me here. They could have told me. They could have said, you are not cut out for this. Have a nice life. I've lost everything. I have nothing to lose. What would you like Bill Clinton to know? That he can forgive our loans. <laughs> he can do that. Yeah. Because, see, I don't think he want to be representative of something that is basically um, unfair or unethical. He can't give us back our years, but he can give us back our dignity.
Bill and Hillary Clinton declined to comment on these students' allegations. Oh, weird. That's strange. But a spokesman for Bill Clinton says he was pleased to support Laureate's mission to expand higher education. Uh, I bet he was. <laughs> I would be too at that price. Oh, you know, this uh, Clinton story just don't go away, do it? Yeah. Secretary Powell has admitted he did exactly the same thing. He had such a distinguished record. You know, I, I have served my country as well. We both did the same thing. Just recently, Colin Powell's Who? emails oh, really? uh, were retroactively classified uh-huh. from more than 10 years ago. So glad you mentioned. As he said, that was an absurdity. I could not agree more. Yeah, well, look, she's a liar. I mean, she lies. She lied about the email. She lied about Colin Powell. She set up the server on the same day that she started her Senate confirmation hearings. Mm. She did not. She didn't just go get a Gmail account. She literally set up this mm. own server and in the basement of their house. Well, there you hear some of the explanation of uh, Hillary Clinton talking about former Secretary of State Colin Powell and his use of private email. Well. Over the weekend, surfaced that uh, Powell talked to People Magazine, and here's what he said about all of this. Oh. Quote, her people have been trying to pin it on me about the email scandal. The truth is, she was using the private email server <laughs> for a year before I sent her a memo telling her what I did. It doesn't bother me. It's okay. Really? I'm free. We'll start what? there. Let's bring in our panel. Steve Hayes, senior writer for the Weekly Standard. Mara Lyason, national political correspondent, national public radio, and editor-in-chief of LifeZet, Laura Ingram. Ha! Isn't that interesting? Now, this is also a little tidbit here. Uh, these uh, emails may come out mid-October. Not exactly an October surprise, or Even will it be? Even top Democrats have expressed concern about the drip, drip, drip of Hillary Clinton's email problems. Tonight, a few more drips. And new calls for the FBI to take up the case of lying under oath to Congress. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harridge is here Catherine with Harridge. details. Good evening, Catherine. Hey, Catherine. Besides the FBI, no one outside Hillary Clinton's inner circle has seen the 14,900 emails. They were covered by FBI forensic specialists who scoured Clinton's personal servers during the classified email investigation. Based on a decision today in D.C. federal court, hundreds of new Clinton emails may be public before the election. The ruling from Judge James Boesberg, an Obama administration appointee, means the State Department must finish the first review by September 23rd and many of those records may be released shortly thereafter. These emails were sent or received by Mrs. Clinton. They were deleted by her team and not among the records turned over to the State Department. There are seven disks of data, including one with classified emails. The State Department guesstimate is that tens of thousands of new Clinton records are in play. Yeah, she said guesstimate. Yeah, she said guesstimate. But I think, did you hear the most important part there? These were undeleted emails. By her team and not among the records were sent or received by Mrs. Clinton. Uh Uh-huh. They Listen. were deleted by her team and deleted by her team. Not among the records turned over to the State Department. Not among the records turned over to the State Department. Key bits of information. There are seven disks of data, including one with classified emails. The State Department guesstimate is that tens of thousands of new Clinton records are in play. The intent is to do that appraisal before September 23rd. But again, we're still in the process of uh, looking at uh, the amount of effort, the amount of resources we need to commit to doing that, but that's the intent at least. Judicial Watch, who brought the Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, said the new records are more evidence of bad faith. 
Mrs. Clinton swore under penalty of perjury that as best as she knew, all these records, all government records have been turned over. Uh, but this court hearing today demonstrated that wasn't the case. Mm. If a single government record is among the 15,000 Clinton emails recovered by the FBI, it would appear to bolster the Republicans' case that Clinton misled Congress in 2015 about her, how her team determined what was personal and could be destroyed and what was government business oh. and should be preserved. Well, that sounds bad. Who oversaw this multi-step process in making that determination, which ones we might get and which yeah. ones that were personal? The search terms were everything you could imagine that might be related to anything, but they also went through every single email. The State Department wanted until mid-October to begin releasing these emails, but the judge accelerated the timeline based on the fact that the State Department has had those emails since July, Brett. Hmm. They love it. You can tell they love it. You can tell they love that story. I think it. I think it's telling that Catherine Heritage, who is their chief intelligence correspondent, correspondent, is the one that is doing this reporting. Isn't that slightly telling? Also, Uma Abedin. What a fascinating character. She's been with Hillary Clinton since she was an intern for the first lady, long time ago. Her husband is Anthony Weiner. Carlos Danger. The guy that got caught up in a sex scandal when his text messages got leaked. She's been with Clinton through every phase of her career, from first lady to senator to campaigner to the state, in and out of the Clinton Foundation. She's one of the most interesting behind-the-scenes characters in politics, in my opinion. And this report goes in a little bit into depth because of the recent uh, new emails. Uma Abedin, Clinton's longest-serving aide, is now finding herself thrust into the center of her boss's most durable controversies. And with that, I'll be making no further comments. Thank you. A flood of new emails from Clinton's private email server during her time as Secretary of State revealed this week and are raising new questions about the State Department's relationship with the Clinton Foundation. Enter Abedin. Emails obtained by Judicial Watch, a conservative watchdog group, show Abedin emailing with a top Clinton Foundation official, arranging a meeting with the Crown Prince of Bahrain, a foundation donor who was unable to get a meeting through official channels. Doug Band writing to Abedin, quote, asking to see her good friend of ours. None of the exchanges appear to offer a direct quid pro quo, but has opened the door for criticism. No issue better illustrates how corrupt my opponent is than her pay-for-play scandals as Secretary of State. Huma Abedin has been by Clinton's side for two decades, first working for First Lady Clinton as an intern in the White House, staying with her through her Senate run, her 2008 campaign in the State Department. Unconfirmed. Yeah, rising now to vice chairwoman of the Clinton campaign. She's on the road a lot, and um, I just, you know, I'm there to help keep it all together and help people be at their best, including my boss. Their relationship is close, so close Clinton has known to refer to her as a second daughter. Good afternoon, my name is Anthony Weiner. And it was Clinton who helped Huma through the public fall of her husband, former Congressman Anthony Weiner, over his sex scandal. I love him. I have forgiven him, I believe in him, and as we have said from the beginning, we are moving forward. Abedin is a Muslim, born in Michigan, raised in Saudi Arabia, her father from India and her mother from Pakistan. 
her background and family ties, the subject of speculation and scrutiny by Clinton critics. OMG, OMG. Paper bringing up allegations this week about her association with this academic journal founded by her father that looks at issues related to Muslims living in Western societies, to which Huma is listed at one point as an assistant editor. And CNN spoke to many people who know that publication and know the region, and they describe it as a nonpartisan, strictly academic journal that does not raise flags in its content. But the Clinton campaign has had to respond to these allegations over Huma's role in the journal. A Clinton campaign spokesman telling CNN that she was not paid and did, quote, little to no work. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> well, that solves it. Problem solved. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. So we've been talking too much about Hillary, haven't we? I want to talk a little bit about uh, some other issues going on in the world, including the EpiPen crazy price hike, uh, the earthquake in Italy. But I do want to cover this uh, Donald Trump story because I thought it's interesting to watch Rachel Meadow. We'll just play a bit of it. It's interesting to watch how she constructs an attack on the Trump campaign in this clip. And uh, she does it really well by setting up previous Republicans that were famous that got taken down and it's 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 pretty brilliant two years ago june 2014 republican house majority leader eric Cantor lost his seat remember that he was next in line to be speaker of the house number two republican in all of washington he was one of the young guns who was supposedly the the future of the whole republican (laughs) party and and it shocked everyone when eric Cantor lost his seat Uh, by getting defeated in a Republican primary in his home district by somebody nobody had ever heard of. Well, the guy who's now running Donald Trump's campaign was one of the top conservative media figures in the country who made that happen, who introduced the country to the guy running against Cantor, who fanned the flames of that anti-Eric Cantor movement, who, who, who did everything he possibly could to promote criticism of Eric Cantor and to promote the alternative story of the guy who ultimately beat Eric Cantor. This was from before Eric Cantor's primary election that year at at Breitbart.com. Conservative group blasts Eric Cantor for amnesty deception. This one, Eric Cantor primary challenger Dave Bratt receives national attention. As in national attention from that article, from that publication. Uh, Here again, they feature Eric Cantor's otherwise unknown challenger, Dave Bratt, says illegal immigrants pouring into USA after Cantor announced kids are welcome. And when Eric Cantor lost that year and Dave Bratt beat him, Breitbart.com celebrated that like nobody's business. And in fact, they are still celebrating it now two years later. The guy who's now running Donald Trump's presidential campaign, who up until five minutes ago was running Breitbart.com, earlier this summer when he was hosting a Breitbart radio show, he was still bringing Dave Bratt onto his show to crow over the fact that he beat Eric Cantor to call him the giant slayer. We're going to come back. Dave Brad, Congressman Dave Brad from uh, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, the giant slayer, the guy that put the uh, being cantered in the political lexicon. That was 2014 that Eric Cantor got beat. The year after Eric Cantor got beat, the next giant that got slayed within the Republican Party was House Speaker John Boehner. Forced out as speaker, basically forced to resign from Congress by a right-wing revolt within his own party that was orchestrated in part and cheered on enthusiastically by 
the guy who's now running Donald Trump's campaign. Here again from his website, Breitbart.com. Crowd stands and cheers at news John Boehner resigned. Hmm. You can see how she puts it together. She does a good job of painting that picture. Now, I wanted to, I, I think we should, I, I, would, I would feel bad if we didn't take a moment and uh, talk about the situation in Italy before we get out of the overtime. As the sun sets in central Italy, the desperate search for survivors continues into the night. As first responders continue to pull people from underneath tons of rubble, the gut-wrenching images of those who perished, covered in blankets, children among the dead, this image capturing a nun sitting in front of one of those bodies. Sister Mariana describes her daring escape. I tried to hide myself underneath the, the bed. And then I went outside to ask help, uh, but uh, no one uh, heard me. The town of Amariche, one of the hardest hit, buildings which towered high above this hilltop town, now disintegrated, chunks of rock and concrete scattered everywhere. There's nothing left standing. I'm so sorry for so many people that are under the rubble. They are people I love. The 6.2 magnitude earthquake violently erupting in the middle of the night. More than 150 aftershocks and tremors felt along the length of the country. Pope Francis now asking for the world's prayers. This clock tower, the only iconic structure left standing in the town of Amariche. These before and after shots shows just how much this town changed in a matter of seconds. The State Department is urging Americans in the quake area to call the embassy and to contact family members any way they can, including social media outlets. Ray Raymondi, ABC News, New York. Thoughts to anybody who has family over there. Why don't we also talk about something else going on here? Kind of bringing it back to a domestic issue. Have you been following this EpiPen price hike, which is pretty egregious? Pressure mounting on EpiPen maker Mylan Pharmaceutical, a trio of senators now calling for an explanation of the 400% price hike on this popular medicine. Yikes. It's used to treat allergic reactions. Families literally rely on this. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar calling for a hearing and investigation into Mylan, the company that bought the device in 2007 and has since increased its price several times. Klobuchar's own daughter is an EpiPen user. Earlier this week, Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal demanded lower prices for the drug, and Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley sent a letter to Mylan's CEO asking for an explanation. In 2009, a two-pack of EpiPens cost about $100. Today, it's around $600, depending on where you buy uh, and what state you live in. Mylan tells CNN the changing health insurance landscape is partly to blame for the rising consumer costs, especially for people with high deductibles. So if you have an insurance plan with a high deductible, suddenly you're paying an awful lot more out of pocket than you used to. I feel like this is an area that your unfiltered show, there's going to be major changes over the next four years that your unfiltered show will be documenting. Hey, that's awesome. Check it out. E5IW in the chat room says that he just received his unfiltered 200 poster and it looks awesome. That's great. Congratulations. I'm glad you got it. So we got, you know, I got, let's see. I got a couple more things I could play for you. But, does this have any, uh, yeah. This is just a video, but this is pretty cool. The world's longest glass bottom bridge has opened up in China. And it uh, is, it's damn impressive. There's a cool video of it in the supporter sync if you want to check that out. 
What is this? Uh-oh, here's something. Uh, these are the extra folders for producer Matt. There's a robot in Silicon Valley for a hotel. It's got its own R2-D2. Look at this thing. Who needs a bell anymore? What do they call them? The bell waiter? What are those things called? They got a robot now. You got a robot now. <laughs> oh, there is one story we should probably cover. And then I got one last story to bring us out. You probably heard about this one. The teammate of Olympic swimming champion Ryan Lochte is now giving his take on what happened at that Rio gas station nearly a week ago. Oh. And he seems to be blaming Lochte. Jamie Yukas is covering the Olympic Games, and she joins us from Rio. Jamie, good morning. Good morning, Anthony. Hops, I yeah. can tell you in order to clear up this international incident, it appears Gunnar Bentz has released his own statement about what he says happened at the gas station. Bentz says that he and his teammates went there to use the bathroom. And when the bathroom was unavailable, they went to the bushes behind the gas station. <laughs> that's when Bentz says Lochte tore down a metal sign attached to that gas station. Bentz says that's when the guards drew their guns and demanded cash from the group before letting them go. And that there's missing surveillance video to back up the claim <laughs> I mean I don't really need to give it much more attention than that it's kind of a distraction outside of that but it sounds like they were just maybe getting they were a little drunk I mean they're peeing in a bush they're probably a little drunk I agree E5 I agree alright the flying bum finally takes flight I leave you with this sky whale as our last clip for the overtime The world's longest aircraft finally took to the skies on its maiden flight this week. The Airlander 10's creators say the plane can land just about anywhere and stay aloft for days on end without refueling. Jonathan Vigliotti visited the aircraft in its hangar north of London. Measuring in around the width and length of a football field, the Airlander 10 is not what you'd call conventional. Uh. The world's longest aircraft is in fact a Frankenstein of technologies, taking the shape and lift benefits of a blimp and combining them with the maneuverability of a helicopter and (laughs) the load capacity of a small cargo plane. But Chief Test Pilot David Burns, who was at the controls for the Airlander's maiden flight, says you need to look beyond the shape of the hull, which has been, you could say, the butt of some jokes, Uh to appreciate this very modern flying machine. Airlander. The technologies that you talk about, what will it enable this aircraft to do? Well, basically enables it to to stay aloft a whole lot longer and also to operate from almost any surface. Do you see this as a game changer when it comes to humanitarian crises? Well, there's huge potential there because this could go into, like if a tsunami has has wiped out everything, you've got a whole lot of mud and and water areas. This can land on on the remaining stuff that's air, take in some air relief, take out the injured casualties. We're here underneath the belly of this ship, and this is an area where more than 11 tons of cargo can be carried, anything from humanitarian aid to commercial goods. It can spend days in the air without refueling, but can't compete with planes or helicopters when it comes to speed. So the hull is effectively wing-shaped, so we get up to 40% of our lift aerodynamically or from the wing. Um, We then get around 60% of our lift from being filled with helium, a lighter-than-air inert gas, so it doesn't burn or explode. Um, And that gives us the ultra-efficiency of basically not having to carry a whole load of weight. And then the engines turn or vector which allows us to get plus or minus 25% of lift and also allows us to hover just like a helicopter can. The Airlander 10, let's face it, looks more like a flying whale than it does a bird. And sure, big and slow 
not necessarily selling points, but its creators say its range of technologies makes it a little bit different. It doesn't need an airport or to be tethered to the ground like other airships, benefits that undoubtedly appealed to the U.S. Army, for whom the technology was originally developed oh, really? before the program was canceled due to the troop drawdown in Afghanistan and budget cuts. Daniel says this allowed the company to buy it back and develop the aircraft for civilian uses. Hmm. The Airlander's biggest challenge, however, has been overcoming its troubled family history. Say the word airship, and people usually think of the Hindenburg disaster of 1937. Hilarious, because Token Ring in the IRC chat room right now just said, holy S, it's a flying bomb. Wow, totally played into their cards, Token Ring. <laughs> oh my God, it's going down. Even modern blimps occasionally get a bad rap. In October, this unmanned military blimp came loose from its moorings and drifted across central Pennsylvania, tearing up power lines and causing chaos. Daniel says there are many misconceptions. We often get people saying, well, surely it pops like a balloon. Well, no, it doesn't. So we could riddle that hole with bullets. The helium is under such low pressure (laughs) that it would gradually seep out. We're not an airship. We're the airlander. We are one of the safest forms of transport. It's a bold statement, but there's already competition in the industry. Lockheed Martin is developing its own model. I think it's good for the industry. The, The market is plenty big enough for two people to be in there competing. There you go. You're going to have flying butts over the skies soon. There you go. That brings us to the end of the Unfilter Overtime for episode 201. Thank you to all our new patrons. If you'd like to support the show, help us keep that momentum going. Patreon.com slash Unfilter. Thanks for supporting us, and we'll see you back here next week. See you, everybody. Uh, I've never installed GNU slash Linux. Hello, everybody.